At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hey everyone, it's Yas here and I'm calling today with a little favor to ask. Over the recent weeks and months, I've had loads of you get in touch with some great questions and today I'm gonna to be trying something new with the show. I'm trialing a Q&A segment where I'll be joined by a co-host and elite coach educator, Gerard Jones. Now, these are discussions which are going to be taking place every Sunday evening at 7.30 GMT, live on Twitter space, if you wanted to get involved directly. Otherwise, I'll be releasing them here every Wednesday on the Coaches Network podcast. So for today's format, it's slightly different, and for around about 30 minutes, each discussion will be dedicated to a question that has been sent in, where myself and Joa will be going into some real depth and sharing our views and opinions on the topic in order to leave you with some key takeaways to consider in your own environments. So the favour I'm asking for today, guys, is if you can let me know your thoughts on the new format and you can do this by getting in touch on Twitter at The Coaches Net. Once again, that is at The Coaches Net. And of course, if you have a question, feel free to send that in too. Hope you enjoy the new format. The Coaches Network, bringing the game together. Hey, guys, you're now listening to The Coaches Network podcast, a podcast aimed at anyone who's passionate about athlete, talent and personal development. My name's Coach Yas and I'm a UEFA A-license football coach coach developer and content creator. I'll be sitting down with a range of guests to discuss their journeys, their life lessons, and how you can make an impact. Enjoy. Yeah, let's, start, let's dive straight in. Obviously, though, there's not really a, a clear uh, question as such as there has been in, re- in recent discussions. So this is more of just a, I guess, a recap and round of some key kind of discussed over the recent weeks, really. So, you know, developing decision makers, you know, I'm going to start off with that and say to you, straight away where does your mind take you yeah so straight away and even just from the stuff we did on the, the webinar in the past month really with the spaces i'm really thinking around how we empower in place to solve problems so what does the environment look like whether it's the practice activity or whether it's the objectives that we're setting on a game that allow players to solve problems make decisions so even in the fence of um if we look at coaching behaviors how are our coaching behaviours actually allowing players to to be decision makers? Effectively, meaning that they're able to recognise, make mistakes, but problem solve and and make decisions as they go along. Now, that's not to say that there aren't times where coaches can be directing the feedback or or perhaps uh, directing instruction. But the challenge then becomes: is how do we create an environment where players can actually? take ownership for their own learning, you know, and become better decision makers without having to, to rely on the coach. So that's where my head goes immediately. You know, I get that's quite interesting. So obviously, you know, you look there, uh, how much can we get the players to start, con- you know, considering their own learning, take some responsibility and accountability for themselves in that respect. So I guess, you know, I'm just now thinking out loud, I'm saying to myself, well, 
how how do coaches get around to doing that? Because sometimes you know you get those players who just want to be told what to do. They don't really want to have to think too much. How do we get them out of that conditioning? Is it even conditioning, or is it just a preference that they know that works for them? If that makes sense. Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, I know we impacted it a little bit, didn't we? Where there's certain players who will will love to have context and stru- the light structure, and there's other players that will probably respond better to less structure. And then it's recognizing those individual differences. So I think for coaches, we've got to recognize and know your players and know who's in front of us. And and actually, what players do we need to be perhaps more descriptive with? and say, look, this is what we want you to do in these areas. But then in, with other players, is it a case of it's more freedom? Because ultimately, they, they'll do what they want anyway. And, and it's difficult. You know, there's always that expression of mavericks, right? But, like, you, you can't control a maverick. But they'll do stuff that's unpredictable and quite clever. So it's how you find that fine balance, you know. And again, it just comes back to that phrase, individual difference. So for me, I think a challenge for coaches then is, are we aware of those differences? But then also, how do we design individual difference within our training activities so that you're affording those opportunities for players to, to, to have that flexibility within a framework or for ones where it's actually pretty scripted? So let, let's, let's just delve into that a little bit deeper. You talked about the difference within the session. What, what do you mean by that exactly? Because obviously, you know, there could be so many different thoughts on what that could be. But from a session perspective and a session plan, where, where are you going with that? Well, for me, it could be as simple as if we know, for example, Tony needs to get better at uh, finishing one-on-one with the keeper. And he, he's, he, he likes to score as a goal scorer for him, but he'll tend to hit the ball at the keeper or he'll tend to struggle. And even though we're working on, you know, a block of we're working on breaking lines you know we're working on the principles of team of how we build our attack but Tony still needs to get repetitions that are meaningful for his individual development so the individual difference there could be that we've got an activity that's allowing us to keep possession of the ball and break forward but once we find Tony and he could be 1v0 or 1v1 but once he beats that player he's one-on-one with the keeper a second ball goes in for the possession grid so that way they're not standing and waiting for Tony. Tony's got excellent number of seconds to finish one-on-one against the keeper. And then the second, the next ball goes in for the possession game. And they've got to look to keep that ball. But of course, they can't find a way to play into the forward until Tony gets back into the possession grid. So then it's it's allowing them to... It's, well, it's constraining them that they've got to keep their eyes up and know when he's ready and when he's free. But they've also got to work that ball as well, you know. So, or another example could be if you've got an attack v defence, and I've done this several times where often we talk about like giving people similar experiences, but actually, could it be that they're varied? So, on the left wing, it's a half pitch practice or a quarter, let's say it's, a, it's a quarters of a full field. It's an attack v defence, or as we'd say, like a phase of play, full width. But instead of going to the full width or the full depth on the right-hand side, we perhaps cone that off like a diagonal. So we cut it across, which forces that right-sided player to have to go inside. So they either have to connect with the striker or they're going to have to do a bit like Kevin De Bruyne does or Gundogan, where they'll receive in those areas, but they'll play early 
passes into the penalty area, early entries, right? But they're not beating players down the outside. Whereas on the left, there's no there's no cones. So the full so the player has the option where you can go down the outside and put a cross in, or you can connect and combine in the middle. But the other player doesn't have that choice. Because of the design of the area size and how we've coned it off, funneled it off, it's forcing them to have to look for ways to go inside. So there's another example of like individual difference because it might be that the right winger needs to get better at coming onto his left foot or connecting and combining with the centre forward or just finding early crosses in. Or it could be another way of getting our game model out. You know, we might want to exploit, we might be better on that particular area. We might want to attack in certain areas on that side. But on the left, we want to have difference. So just by the design of the activity, players are getting different choices, different decisions. So going back to your topic and the question, developing decision-makers, well, the decisions are different, Yaz, because on the right, his decision is completely different to the decisions that are available, that are afforded to the, the boy who's on the left. I see you got your hand up. Yeah, it'd be great. Yeah, no, I'm just thinking out loud now. So obviously, I get that, and I completely understand why you might do that for that individual. But I'm just trying to put my mind in coach's head and thinking what, what, what would the question be and I think the question comes back to me well what's the balance because obviously we can't we can't put those individual things in for every single player in the session so h- how do we strike that balance what does it what does it look like to get it in the sweet spot if there is one well I think there's always a way of like every session should be specific for every player and obviously that's really hard like if we think back to how we started and coaching and then where we are now you know, we've got obviously more experience, more learning, but we're still not great. We're still getting better at it, aren't we? Even as us guys, all of us listening. And it's still hard for us. So we can imagine, you know, how difficult must this be for, for part-time coaches or volunteer coaches or pe- whatever level they're at. So it's really hard. But I think if we can actually think about, well, I've got Joe and Joe really needs to get better at his first touch to, a, to beat a pressure. And typically, he'll always control the ball and go backwards. And his first thought is always to go backwards, quite negative in his touch. He'll try and control the ball and screen it or look to play backwards or go in that direction instead of his first thought being, actually, can I go forwards? And then, so that's Joe. Yaz might have a challenge of, like, he's very good at rolling people and he's very good at twisting and turning and finding ways to unlock defences. We need to keep that strength going, you know. So just in those two, before I add a few other names, yes, we're working on possession. And I gave the example of, you know, the ball arrives in one area and it's almost like a practice within the practice. So it's an extension of the activity so that Tony's getting finishing one-on-one against the keeper. But what we can do real clever, subtle coaching with, with Joe and Yaz doesn't have to be an activity. It could just, like a different design of the practice. It could just be a challenge. It could just be, Joe, your challenge is how many times can you allow your first touch to, to, to help you to go forward? How many times can your first touch allow you to play forward? If you can beat a player first with your first touch, so they're immediately getting past them with a touch, or even no touch could be an option, and it leads to a goal, or it leads to a, a forward pass. If we score off it, it's worth an extra point for your team. So you're rewarding him, you're rewarding the behaviour. And then it could even be as simple as, so Joe's got his challenge. There's a couple other examples we can give for Joe. You know, when you protect it, when you eliminate touch. 
But then for for Yaz, who's very good at twisting and turning, actually we know that Clay is aggressive and likes contact, but gets easily turned because he's he wants to always dive in. He wants to always overly commit, but he loves the contact piece. Well, that's going to be great. Can we design it so that when we're playing the small-sided games, and we want to relate this to how we want to play, so if we've got 10 kids at that night or 12 kids or however many kids we've got at the session, we want to design a session so that it gets everyone playing, but it relates to the shapes we're going to play. So if we're nine aside and we play a one, three, four, one as an example, or whatever we play, but let's say we have a number six. Well, Clay could be the number six in that session. So you've got your back three, your goalkeeper. You've got Clay as the number six and put Yaz as a, as a midfielder against Clay. So in that area, in that centre of the field, and then you've got your seven and 11 and you've got your other players. But within that there, Diaz, is we've created a duel. So there's automatically a duel there with these guys. And then obviously for Clay, he's getting better because Yaz is going to cause him problems. He's going to roll him. And then that's going to give us coaching opportunities. He'll be like, right, okay, you know he's quite quick at there. What do you need to do? Is it a kid and drop? Is it a, you know, you're getting too tight. Do you need to be arm's length? If you know he's always going to try and turn you on that outside the hook and he's going to roll you, or he's going to do, or he's going to deceive how he's going to play off you. What what do we need to do? And then you, you're coaching Clay to get better at dealing with those problems. But Clay can also still improve Yaz's repetition of his strength as well. So I mean, there's just three examples of how just within a session it doesn't always have to be a rule change. You know, there are things that we could do safe zones. We could do this. We could do that. But even just subtle challenges or questions can afford individual difference just by asking Dan Dan I want you to show me different ways you can create space for yourself or your teammate how you do that is up to you but show me your challenges how can you create space for yourself or your teammate off you go and I'm going to watch you and then for the coach it's the art of noticing isn't it but then we're looking at Dan and going well how many times is he creating that space and if he's not is that a coaching point where we go okay just look at this, Dan. If you move here, how does that help create that opening for Yaz to get on the ball? And little things like that. So that's the, the type of stuff I'd be thinking, Yaz, of, you know, and it's hard, obviously, but there's just a couple of examples there where, you know, it comes back to that question you asked me. What kind of decisions are your practices challenging your players to make? And I think that's a great question because are we, are we designing those questions before so when you're planning your session you know i use this phrase a lot the quality of your questions represents the quality of your values so if we value players that you know want to receive and play forward with the first intention or break a line we want those forward passes whatever it may be well then how are you designing questions skillfully to influence that decision so if you're saying to players how can your pass or your dribble eliminate two or more defenders here? Show me. Like, show me different ways you're, how you can pass or dribble to eliminate uh, two or more defenders. That's a challenge. And then when they do it, it's like, well, I could split them through. Boom. And it's like, well done. Just hold it there. So how many, how many defenders have we just took out with that pass? 
And the players will tell you, oh, three, brilliant. So now, and then you're building on that. I think that's how, I think that's how you can, that's one way of how we can do it effectively. Um, so, you know, the challenge for coaches is how well do we plan our questions, you know, to, to, to improve what we're, we're wanting to develop for decision. But there's one question I want to go back to, Yaz, which was, you asked me at the start, and it's a really good one. How many of your players thrive off structure versus how many like require more chaos to fill the way through the context? How would you answer that? You know, from your experience of how you deal with that, where players need that structure and players that can actually almost be a little bit more free. You know, how have you managed that, or how would you? Yeah, manage nice, that? Good I think um, going back to you know what I asked you specifically was that. You know, what happens if you've got a player that feels like they've, you know, they just want to be told what to do and they, they, that they thrive off that because maybe they're conditioned to feel that way or maybe they haven't experienced anything. And otherwise, I think it kind of ties into that a little bit in the sense that you're going to have players who fundamentally are like that. But the question is, is where does that come from? Have they had experience of what it looks like to be trusted to make a decision? And it, it kind of then leads me into thinking about what you said as, as an overall. And it's well, really, it, it, it's are we doing enough to set the outcome for the player and not dictate what it should look like, but what the what they should look to achieve as a result of the outcome, if that makes sense? And then giving them the freedom and creativity within that to explore, well, what does that look like as a process for themselves? Although this is the outcome, if that makes sense. And I think that's the key piece to really, really tap onto. But I think from that perspective, that's probably looking at tying into the questions that you talked about. You know, one of the things I'm, I'm really keen, keen on is knowing what the outcomes are going to look like, I started to think about, well, what are two or three questions that I know are going to stretch and challenge the players around their thinking on what these outcomes could look like and maybe delve deeper into that. So, I'm, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm just thinking out loud there. I'm saying, so as an example, it's, let's say we're, attacking, we're trying to attack in the wide areas. It could be as simple as, you know, we recognise that the opposition are playing quite narrow. Where might we find that space? Or it could even be starting by, well, what do you notice about how the opposition have set up and where do you, where can you identify opportunities to exploit? And that kind of leads their attention to that. Right, brilliant. They've established that the area that they want to attack in is, is the wide area because the opposition are quite narrow and compact. Brilliant. So now I'm going to stretch and challenge them. Just, right, can you show me some ways that you might be able to do that and who might be involved in those in those elements of play? So that, I mean, those are just some little bits around around that. But I don't know what your thoughts are on that. Whether you go, whether you go into actually planning those questions, or whether those questions come organically through the delivery of the practice itself, and what happens, because obviously that links into the art as an art of noticing piece, right? Yeah, I think it's a mixture of both in it because there's time. I'll try and plan my questions before because I, I really want to think about what is it that I'm going after and who am I trying to affect. But at the same time, you know yourself, you have to coach who's in front of you because I think. Sometimes a danger for us all as coaches is, you know, I saw this the other day, I was running a, a course last week on the 9v9 11v11 and all the coaches that delivered as part of the course, they, they were more focused on the session plan and what the question said on the session plan or even just the session plan itself instead of just identifying, well, who, what's happening in front of me? So I think it's a mixture of both, isn't it? Because, you know, you get more... I I tell you what, without going off on a tangent here, I think um, we almost in some cases need to be selfish as coaches in some areas to get better because I often do the same session over and over again. And there'll be little tweaks here and there because it's it's good for the players to revisit stuff, right? Because you can't 
just put on one practice and then jump to another on Thursday. There's no reason why you can't repeat. But another reason why I do that is because it actually helps me get better. Because I end up asking questions and I've almost like, I've done that session a million times. And then I've asked a different type of question or I know what could happen now. Because again, it's accumulated experiences now, right? So you're watching, you're seeing how players respond to certain things. Then you ask another question. It's like, ah, I should have done that the first time. Or if I'd have moved the goals over here, how does that change the question? Because the question I asked them before, but they couldn't do it because of the organisation of the practice. But by moving the... So I guess what I'm saying is, like, as coaches, you can actually become better through your own sort of ongoing practice and repeating stuff and reflecting on the quality of your questions. Um, Because then you've almost, like, the sessions that I've done now where I've done the same activity for years, but I've got to a point now where I know it inside out. And I've, I've probably, based on observation... I know where I can go with it in different ways, depending on what, how the players respond. And I think that just takes time. Like, a lot of this comes back to experience, doesn't it? And it's it just takes time, time being on the grass. And then the more years you are on the grass, to answer your question, Yaz, the better you are at going to be at planning questions or even just instinctive, just knowing what to ask or when to ask it, you know? Yeah, definitely. I think there's two major kind of takeaways to kind of think about within what you just said there. And I think the first piece is that half the work could be done in just not fixing what's what's not broke. Um, in the sense that if you've got a practice that works and it gives you game problems to identify for the players, or it helps the players identify the game problems you want them to identify, you can actually just focus on the content of the session and, and that, that comes back to the observation piece. How well do you understand what what could occur as a not a specific pattern, so to speak, but what are the trends that occur within the game itself? And then using that as an insight to say, well, actually, these are, this is where I'm going to direct my attention to. And then using the existing practice, the players also become familiar with it, right? So they, they're not spending so much time trying to figure out the practice, but they're more spending time on actually observing what's taking place within it. So I think that piece is really key. And then obviously the experience piece also then lends itself to actually what kind of questions can I ask based on the trends that I know occur but also linking it back into what the objective outcome is, what are we trying to achieve, and how can I then link in my experiences? And it kind of ties it back into that that phrase that I used the other day, right? No, I think you're spot on. I think it's really good. And then, I mean, I like the phrase that you used earlier, which was, like, through their eyes or our... Was it their eyes or our experiences? Or our eyes or their experiences? That's the right, yes. Yeah. So are we observing the game through our experiences or through their eyes? Or rather, the other... You know, you're observing the game through our eyes or their experience. So, I mean, the only way we can observe through their experience is by understanding what their experience actually is. By asking those questions, what are they noticing? What are they observing? What are they considering as influences on their performance and their ability to perform? Yeah, and I think it's a good one because it's... You look at it, and we, we've also got to think, well, like, what does pressure look like for us and for them? I know we unpad that on the, the webinar, which was quite good, because it's almost we assume that this is a challenging situation for a player, but it might not be. Or something that we think is quite easy could actually be really challenging for them. And it's, I just think it's a, it's a great accountability piece for us just to reflect A hundred percent. So I guess, you know, my, my question would be to you then, Gerard, you know, what would that conversation look like in terms of trying to engage players in a different way of working in terms of 
allowing them to be open and free to explore questions with you as a coach? Well, I always try and think about like how do they respond to the questions that I ask? Because there's some people that, and you probably know it yourself, we've all been there where we're asked questions, but there are times where as much as we love being asked questions and we get asked to think, there are times where we're just like, just tell me. <laughs> just tell me. And they're just one black and white. Um, or it's, I just don't know, because there's like cognitive overload. So there's almost like the bandwidth isn't there. You're asking me a question, I can't figure it out. If you tell me, then lead with a question, I'll be able to understand why. So if you give me what the answer could be or what you're thinking of, then ask me a question. I can, Or at least I can come back with a better question of, well, why is it we do it that way? So I think, for me, I always try and understand just players and moments and then just try and think about how much have I chucked at them already. I'll actually track it. Because I think it's a great way to, because we, 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 how well, this is a question for everyone, is like we're talking about decisions, but how well do we track and measure the decisions we're asking players to make? And I know that's almost an impossible analysis because there's billions of decisions, there's billions of choices, isn't there, that people can make? To, you know, if we take the game, there's so many things that can happen in the unpredictability of the game. That's why we always say to people, don't coach the player on the ball because they're, they're trying to solve problems, aren't they? But I'm thinking just in the simplicity of if we're coaching Tony on his receiving skills, but then we're also giving him information on that pass to break a line, and then we're asking him questions about the timing of his movement, and then we're asking him questions about everything else. And then we're asking him questions. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So then it becomes, well, it's too much, potentially. So it's almost like filling the bathtub up and the water's pouring out of the bath. So it's, 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 that, it's that toughness. In, like, if you keep filling the glass with water, eventually it's going to pour out. So we're not achieving anything. Like, how much does it stick? So I always try and ask myself, of what decisions am I asking him to make this week? that I'm really going after. So if it's finding the free player or if it's breaking lines or whatever it is based on our principles, then I'll think about like what environmental questions are we asking or value stuff are we asking? How much have they been doing that week during at school or whatever? And then I'll try and think about how best do they respond. Like I, I mentioned on a previous episode that with one player, he loved or preferred, should I say, uh, being coached terminally. So he didn't like being given information during the games. It's not to say you couldn't, but typically he just did not like it. He didn't respond well to it. And he never got a good response because it was almost like, oh, what have I done now? Or why are you stopping me? I just want to play. And you were, and in that point, it was never, as much as we want to try and improve him and his coaching ability, uh, coachability, because that's part of it, isn't it? We also had to be careful that, well, you know, we've got to recognise how best does he take on board information? At what points is information going to filter through or not? So within most of our interventions, this was with Dan, would be during the water breaks or during just general pauses in play, if you like. And that's when he would come to me and ask questions as well. So he'd go, hey, what, what, what did you mean by this? Or I'm struggling with this. Do you want me in this area or this area? So it would be those type of questions. 
Whereas with other people, you could do more live drive-by coaching or with others, you could do a bit more stoppage or with others, you could do a bit more. So I also think it's knowing your players to, to, to know who can take what and how much. Um, but there's no secret sauce to it, I don't think. I just think it comes back to, to knowing your players, yes, you know. And I think it's a great point. I think what you've done really well there is well, you're looking at actually not just developing decisions of players on the pitch. Sorry. One second. <laughs> uh, not just developing decisions of players on the pitch, but actually helping them understand, well, how do they best learn? What do they find as effective coaching for themselves? And I think that's a, such a great point to kind of touch on because we as coaches can sometimes assume too much about our players and what works for them. Whereas I think some of the questions I'm now thinking about, why the questions I've asked players before is, well, you know, can you share a time with me where you've actually feel like you've received good... At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply coaching and what, what what did that look like to you what, what was useful about it um and really go from a perspective of i want you i want you to try and help me to help you if that makes sense yeah 100 because it I, I mean i'm not i'm not the best dad in the world but when i think about it i and i get told this a lot so william my little boy my five-year-old um, and i'm almost learning more through the kids really like having kids and i'm sure you're the same he doesn't like being shouted at. Like, he just, he's so... I think we had this conversation with him, actually, me and you, didn't we, about our kids and the differences. And my five-year-old, he just does not like being shouted at. So if there's a point where I do get to that point where I have to raise my voice, and even if it's for safety reasons, because he's going to hurt himself, and he's, like, trying to touch the fire or something stupid or whatever it is, you know, he, but he doesn't respond well to being shouted at. That's the bottom line. And... Anything you do, even to teachers at school that have apparently shouted at him, they don't get a good response. He prefers, even when he's pushing the boundaries and he's really like, he's really pushing it because he's one of those kids. If you just have a line, if you talk softly to him and pull him over, I like to make contact with him. He's very big on contact. So just holding his hand and getting down to his level and talking, I get immediate in, like concentration. I've got him. Whereas with the other one, 
you know, I mean, don't get me wrong, if you shout at him, he'd crumble. He'd, the bottom lip would come out. But with him, he's like, he's a different character in other areas, you know, and it's just, everyone's different, aren't they, Yaz? Like, you're, you probably sit with your own kids and it's, I think you've just got to know the differences, haven't you? And it's not to say that you can't make people robust and you never shout at them, because ultimately, at some stage in their life, if they go into a senior high-performing level, they're definitely going to get shouted at one stage or another, whether it's through their own fans, whether it's through teammates, or whether it's through management. And even in life, there's times where you get shouted at. I was in a meeting months ago, I told you, unbelievable, and um, the vice president had a right ding-dong. And it was like, we don't know what's going on there, but he just lost his cool with everyone. But it happens. Like that's part of it, isn't it? And it's just so you've got to be able to respond to these these uh, challenges, I guess. Um, so it's it's like a fine balance between how much do you give them to to prepare them for society, if you like, for life, and then what you do just to recognise what gets the best out of them. Because ultimately, like people, we're all unique. We are different, and it's and I can assume that. It's my way or the highway. Like, tough, tough love. They're going to have it. They're going to have to take it. Well, yeah, that's well and good. But if it's not sinking through, then nobody's winning. So, for me, it's like you have to you have to almost be like a chameleon in some cases or almost like there's different boxes, isn't there? And it's I might have to go into this box to really affect this person, but then I can change and go to this box when I'm talking to this person. I don't know. I don't know what your thoughts are, Yaz, or I'm sure. It's the same, right? Yeah, no, I, I, I fully agree, and I'm just—it just made me start to think about, you know, just bigger picture and thinking about is all of this is part of setting the environment, right? I, I mean, I've been in situations, certainly, obviously, with my kids, and they're very similar to what you've just described. One of them, if you have a go at him, he's not—he's he's not having a bar, but he's just going to ignore you. The other one, you got to literally sit him down, talk to him, and he, you know, even if he's in trouble, he don't mind being in trouble as long as you talk to him on a fate on the level, <laughs> get down to the level. So I, I get it. Um, I'm just thinking about when I'm working with players in particular, though, I'm looking at, I think a, lot, a large part of it is actually setting the expectations and setting the scene in the sense of, right, this is this is how I coach. Um, you know, I'm going to be flexible and adaptable to what works for you, but I'm also going to stretch and challenge you in ways that maybe you're not used to. So, because I think sometimes we can be, you know, whether as coaches, as players, I think just as people, when, you know, when, we, when we're experiencing new environments new things new interactions sometimes it can make us uncomfortable because we don't know what to expect on the back end of it so i think for me a lot of it is just down to setting expectations for players do they understand that actually as an example when i'm being coached by yes well he's going to hold me accountable he's going to let me know when something's not quite good enough or when when i should be doing better and it's not coming from a, a bad place and it reminds me actually of an interaction i had with a player once and he said um they were completely. They were sharing their, their their concerns about one of one of the other coaches that that was working with them, and they said that. But yes, you're different, you know, because you you don't have favourites, but you treat everyone the same. Whereas that coach, on the on the face of things, looks like he has favourites because essentially, when people are not quite getting what he wants, he just kind of shuns them a little bit. And it's like, well, it's interesting because I, I think. First of all, I think every coach does have favours. We just, we just, we just shouldn't share the, who they are. <laughs> but fundamentally, you've got to treat everyone the same in the sense that you're not giving them equal treatment, but you're giving them fair treatment. Because equal treatment could also be de- detrimental to some people. That, that 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 approach might not work for. So I think that that piece is really key. 
but I think the expectation piece is probably the biggest one around. Well, this is how I'm going to coach. This is this is these are the reasons why. And I think really getting the players to understand it. I remember I even delivered a session the other day, and it was um, we had four goalkeepers in the session, and the goalkeepers were like, "Well, why are we doing this? Like, we th- this is this is too hard." I said, "Well, okay, think about you know, just to give some context, the pit it was a it was a a four goal game, and it was all within like a, like a fifteen by fifteen kind of grid." And they said, "Yeah, but." This is this is really difficult. I said, okay, well, think about your game. Think about where majority of your shots come from. Think about what your typical goalkeeping session might look like. Where do those shots come from? And how many of those shots that you typically get with your goalkeeping session actually take place when you come into a game? So where you where you may think you're getting a lot of success in your goalkeeping sessions with the ball coming in from you from 15, 20, 30 yards out or wherever else it may be, but that's not the game. Yes, it might happen. Yes, it might happen, but you know, it might happen very infrequently. Whereas, actually, think about where the majority of the finishes come from and the one that you struggle to actually challenge yourself to deal with. Well, they're going to be in that 15 yard range, that kind of 10, you know, that, that second six yard box is what we often look at in terms of where a lot of the goals come from. And that's regardless of what level of the game you're working in. And it's just getting them to understand the rationale behind one, your coaching behaviours, your rationale for your, you know, your practices, your methodology, and everything like that. And I think it goes a long way in terms of getting their buy-in. And then actually, them them telling you getting to a point where I've had certain players were saying, yes, you know, that that bit there, I'm not sure if I'd face that in a game. And then you have that open discussion, and that's you know, you're kind of another element to this developing decision makers piece, right? Because they're now starting to think about it from a different perspective and from a wider context of, well, does my practice replicate my game day environment? So yeah, no, I've gone off a bit of a tangent there, but just it just made me think of that. No, I like it. I think it's really good. One thing I wouldn't mind, I mean, I know there's, there's some good people listening in and it'd be great to get people's thoughts. You know, one thing that was popped in my mind was when we were doing the webinar, we asked a lot about where practices start, how they finish, and even just that concept of small-sided uh, pitches versus small-sided games. What's your thoughts on that? Because I think that has a huge influence on not only the environments we create, but also how we're des- like developing decision-makers. Yeah, I mean, that piece there in a small-sided game versus small-sized pitches, and I think it's... We just naturally assume that, okay, what what's a, what's good? what's a good enough space for this number of players to be operating in rather than actually what's a realistic space for this number of players to be able to operate in and it could be realistic for so many different reasons right it could be a, a, a narrow midfield three well if it's a narrow midfield three then they'll probably have a narrow 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 pitch and a longer distance of, across it whereas if you're looking at a team you know if i'm looking at a wider context and my team likes to attack in the wide areas well that 3v3 in the midfield in the midfield might actually be in a wider space but a shorter space because a lot of the balls are now penetrating Laterally, rather than you know, up to the top of the pitch, if that makes sense. So I think that, I think there's that shared understanding that needs to be there from the players and the coach around rationale for the practices and just opening up their their minds to a new way of of looking at things as well. Because you know, there's no right or wrong to it necessarily, but fundamentally, a lot a lot of people probably would put three v three in a small space or a, or, or a quote unquote justified space, rather than opening up in big spaces in the line to see different outcomes and experience different actions. Um, so I think it's thinking really closely about whatever number of players you've got in your practices, whether they are small-sided games or not, 
how well does that actually then link into the messages that you then want to carry out into your match day environment? What are your match, you know, what is your match day philosophy in terms of how you want your team to play? What is that, you know, that 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 phrase that you know is a bit of it, <laughs> a bit of a frustration phase, but game model. You know, what what does that look like for you, and why does it look like that for you? Why do you want your team to play that way, and how does that then link itself into how you then design your practices in a way that players understand that this picture is actually replicating what we want to do in a game, um, regardless of the numbers? Because I think sometimes the challenge is if you've got a smaller number of players. And this is often the case for players in particular, but also can be for coaches in terms of how you then justify and rationalise that for your players in terms of how this then links directly into the into the match day environment. So I know certainly a lot, a large part of the work that I do with my players and in the way I coach is I do a lot of 1v1 work, but it's almost like a 360 piece where it's not just 1v1s of me and you directly facing each other. Actually, sometimes it's me and you start side by side. Sometimes it's you starting... Um, coming in from the side rather than next to me side by side. So there's so many different aspects which you can kind of, you know, twist that and turn that. But it's just then linking that into, well, what are the actions that you're trying to recreate? What are the pictures that you're trying to recreate? What are the outcomes that are going to be linked in and transferable into the match day in a way that the players can understand and see the rationale and the justification for your practices? Um, so, yeah, I mean, it just got me, a bit, got me thinking a bit more then. And now, now I'm thinking... You know, one of the things that you're big on is that co-design piece, right? Around how you how you bring your players into designing the practices. Because now this can this can link into what we said about earlier. Around are we observing the game through our eyes or their experiences? Do we know enough about what they're experiencing and how it can, can maybe challenge or contradict or even support our game model if we've got one or a playing philosophy, if you want to call it that? So yeah, I don't know what your thoughts are on it though. I love it because it, <clears throat> it opened my eyes a little bit in terms of. Just the last piece you said around like small-sided games, most of us will probably, if we've got a small number, we'll put them in a much smaller area. Or we're conditioned that, you know, even on coaching education courses, we're taught, you know, it's got to be X number of yards by X number of yards, typically per player, and that's how you calculate your area size. But then some of the stuff that we showed the other day, where it's where players start and arrive into space, and if you were to put a rectangle around that and that was the practice area, it'd be bigger than what you'd probably normally do. And then it's, hang on a minute, like, does the pitch, because the pitch size for them based on their format, I mean, the video we show was under 14s, or under 16s uh, age group. So it wasn't even senior level. And it's, it's just a great example of what their game looks like. So I think that's huge because then it almost thinks of, well, are we designing realistic spaces for people to be able to exploit. And a lot of that's depending on, you know, what you are, who you are as a club, where, you you know, if you've got access to a third of a, of a turf field or a quarter, you know, and there's some realistic challenges there, isn't there? Whereas, you know, like in the environment I'm working in, we've got full field, 11 aside, 120 by 75. So it's completely different. Um, it's a completely different chat, you know. We, we've not got that excuse, so I think it's interesting. And the co-design piece, I just think it's a great way of inspiring players and involving them, because like we did it yesterday, we were coaching with our lads for pre-season, getting back into the to the fall, and we were asking them questions around like whether they were happy with the area size or not, how they would change the goals. One of the players, which was really clever, I actually did it. I was doing my like drive-by mentoring if you like as I'm walking around and I'm watching 
coaches deliver. And one of our coaches is a B licensed coach. Um, he's actually a former youth international, played with the with the national team um, in Iraq. And he's got his AFC B license. He's got good experience and he's coaching with our program. Um, and he's working towards his A at the minute, watching him deliver and just asking the question of, you know, what is it you're trying to get out of that activity? And I, rather than asking him, I asked the players because I said, hey, we should ask them what they think. And it was based on the defending and basically had two goals, Yaz. Um, if you imagine like two wide goals, um, he's got a possession game and then he had a central goal for the other team to exploit into. But the, the defenders, when they were defending, they just stuck a player in each goal, basically. So my problem with that was that you're leaving a massive cap down the middle and they're not defending really to how we'd want them to play. And that was my question to him. I said, if they did this on a Saturday, what would you say to them? I said, oh, do you need to be together, like closer together? You need to be compact. And if the ball goes wide, he goes and you come across. Okay, but then look at the design, the practice. The players are cheating. They're solving the game, but the, the, the activity, but they're not playing like the game and now we want them to play in a game. And I asked the players, how could you make this more challenging for you as well as helping you improve your game? And do you know what they actually said? They were like, why don't we add a third goal and put it in the middle, push these goals a little bit wider, and then the rule is that we have to defend two out of the three goals. And if we do that successfully, even if we don't score from it, but if we do that long enough, we can get an extra point. I was like, oh, I love that. That came from the players. And I think sometimes like the best challenges you often get comes from the players. Like It's their ideas. And kids know, because if we were to put them on the street, they're all playing video games at home. They all know about levels and challenges and saving lives and things like that. Like if in a video game, you get to a certain point where like, if you died at that point, you can go back to that point, can't you? You've got X number of lives, you can save progress, you can capture, uh, you can get rewards, you can get cheats, you can get clues, you can get extra things to help you. They're learning these strategies whilst playing video games. So then for me, it's like we should be tapping into their genius because there's certain things that they probably do, probably better than we do. And then it's how you implement that in your game design that gamification. But if we can co-design with them and use their language as well, that's another piece he has, using their vocab. So like the example I did over here was, you know, I was on about movement to trick somebody, right? And I can't remember what word I used, but anyway, it didn't resonate. And I asked them, what would you call this? And do you know what they said? I don't know if it's the same in England, but they use this word over here called duke. I don't know if you've heard it before, but um, to duke somebody. I was like, I've never heard that, but I like it. And they all knew what Duke meant. And that's basically why they'll trick him to get past it. So I think even little things like that, of like using their language, because then you get in the buy-in as well, which will then help with the retention. So, yeah, there's probably a lot there, but, you know, it, it, it's good pieces. Hundred percent. I'm just thinking about that. That you know, you're talking about their co-design piece and getting them involved in the, in that. And I think you, you said there, you know, that they could be doing it better. I think it's sometimes it's not even just better. It's just another way. It's just another way, and it's not necessarily thinking about it better than one another or thinking about it <clears throat> um, in a more complex way. It's just how we understand things, right? It's just how do we 
how do we get closer to a lot you know just diversifying our processes in terms of how how do we achieve these things i think the clearest thing for me to take away from this conversation is that how clear are we on what we're trying to get as objectives for the players how clear are we on terms of the clarity of communication in them understanding what those objectives are um, and even giving them a voice to understand and challenge challenge the objective and say no, no this is what we're going after and this is why what are your thoughts you know and i appreciate depending on the environment you're working in that might be more challenging some places than others but fundamentally we're trying to help the players become better at playing the game and not solving the practice as you know as you, as you kind of put it in that last last piece how how well can they understand the game how well can they you know we talk about attention attention to detail we talk about scanning a lot and it, again the conversation that came out in the webinar the other day was about the number of scans and people talking about how how having a higher number of scans is obviously beneficial and and, and i appreciate and understand the reasons to why that is the case and that, that's suggested to be the case but actually is it the is it the number of scans or the quality of scans? I mean, how many times have you seen a practice where, where coaches are constantly telling people to scan, 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 but they've got no idea what they're actually scanning for, both from a player trying to understand what the coach wants them to scan for and the coach actually understanding whether the player is actually scanning anything, as opposed to just making the action of moving their head left and right, if that makes sense. So I think it's really important for us to kind of use our practices to help players understand well, what are the what are what are the issues? What are the cogs in this in this thing that we call the game that that can influence our performance, influence our activity, influence our actions and decision to take certain actions even? And you know, again, that piece around observing it through their eyes and not our or our eyes and not their experience, or rather the other way around. How well do we know what actually has an influence on the player? So yes, these are the potential cogs that could have an impact on you. But how big is that cog to you? You know, is a pre is 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 two yards of space with a defender around defender on the left of you a bigger problem to you than having two yards of space with a defender on the right of you? Possibly, possibly. How well do we know about those sort of things around our players' understanding of the game and what they perceive to be quote unquote pressure? You know, and we, and we played a a great clip recently as well with you know for Mike Tyson. And he talks about pressure in in a slightly different context, and he says, well. Pressure isn't the moment itself. The pressure is the actual anxiety around building up to the moment. And actually, that could be enough to put you off making the correct action or put you out of context in terms of the focus that you're in. So I think there's a there's a lot there. It would be interesting to get your views on that. And anyone else that's interested in sharing views or in asking any questions or anything that's been said tonight would be, would be much appreciated as well. I think it's huge. I just think it's... Even the Mike Tyson bit, it's like, what does pressure actually look like? And it's this temporal issue, isn't it? You know, like, how do you create the realistic demands of the game? We always talk about designing game-like experiences, but actually, how does it recreate that issue of, you know, the example of like, it's a penalty shootout. You've got to walk from the halfway line all the way to the penalty spot to then get the ball and put it down and, and hit, without hitting the keeper, put it in the back of the net. How do you recreate that pressure of, of that moment? You know, um, I mean, I was thinking about this exactly the other day. I know that's just one tiny example of the bigger game, but one of our under-12s got to the final, played outstanding, and they were winning 2-0 at half-time. Ended up, the other team came back 2-2 in the second half. We struggled through, you know, running out of steam a little bit. 
Um, substitutions not having an impact that we were hoping for. And then at that point, I think the boys, once the goal started coming in, the boys were struggling. You know, and they've gone 2-0 up and then it's managing the lead. There's a couple of points where they could have gone, they nearly threw it away. We've gone into extra time and then got to the PKs. Every single PK, they hit at the bloody goalkeeper. It was unbelievable. And we lost on PKs. It was frustrating because throughout the tournament, they've played so well. But then you think like, how many moments in the sessions have we designed where it's your team is winning 2-0 up with 10 minutes to go? Your team is 2-0 down with 10 minutes to go. Your team is... Uh, even that strategy in itself, we're going to play a game now, but what's going to happen is you're 2-0 up. When they get to 2-0 up, right, lads, we're now going to make it so that it's 2-2. It's going to go into extra time and PKs. You have to think of your strategy. How are you going to manage the game? And, and given that problem of it's 2-2, chance of going into extra time or straight into PKs, how do you play differently? And do some kids go, sod it, we're not going to PKs, we're going to, let's change our strategy, let's go a bit more direct and let's go for it. Or do the kids respond where they're like, nope, we're going to seal the game out and um, we take our chances at PKs or whatever. Do you know what I mean? Like That would be pretty cool in itself. Like scenario-based coaching. And then does that recreate that pressure but like Mike Tyson was saying, like that realistic pressure that what happens in the brain to, to get people to make those mistakes. So it's it's good. I think there's loads, isn't there, that we can do. And, it, you know, it'd be interesting to see what, what goes on in other people's environments. Most definitely. Um I think it's a bit of a quiet one tonight. So, Joran, I think on that note, let's let's look to wrap up with some key points, man. I think for me, it's just looking at how clear are we on the objectives that we're trying to get from the sessions, and how clear are we in terms of how well the players have understood those those objectives. Are we giving the players enough freedom and creativity around the process and the and the journey towards that end objective, if that makes sense? And then, are we holding them accountable enough to and setting the expectations around what different coaching could look like for them? not just what's worked for them in the past, but actually maybe things that they haven't been exposed to before, but also if there's things that they've been exposed to before, another 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 spin on it. So for instance, they might have had a coach before who's tried the guided discovery approach or different ways of doing it. And they may not have had, you know, had the same patience. Obviously, we're never going to get the full context of that. But fundamentally, what I'm saying is it might give them another opportunity to retry that element of coaching methodology or that intervention style for themselves and how we can interact with them in that in that respect. So... That, that, those would be the key things for me. How about yourself? No, I think that's huge. And then, you know, any little takeaway for people is around how much are we planning the decisions that the people want to make? Like, we want the players to make. How many decisions are too much? How are we designing or thinking about individual difference within the practice and even within the game and what the wider game looks like? And then, of course, how that relates to uh, if you like, our game model, our principles, whatever it may be, how we're training this up. So it's really, really good. And, you know, we had a, a great past sort of month, if you like, haven't we, as where we've had the accredited Twitter spaces. We've seen close to around 1,500 people engaging in those and gaining some FACPD. You know, anyone who's listening to this who wants to tune back to the, the previous episodes, um, definitely do so because... We've got until July 23rd, so to, tomorrow will be the last deadline 
at uh, um, or sorry, today, sorry, 23rd, last deadline to listen back to one of those episodes, complete that self-reflection form. I'll post it in the chat in connection to this, as well as a link to how to access the webinar. So for those of you who didn't join the webinar, but you still want to catch up on that great detail that we did this week, uh, the webinar is currently on the Ulerbly app and you can access it. So I'll share a link so everyone can sign up to that. Um, just keep on the lookout. Myself and Yaz are going to be uh, posting tomorrow uh, a link to some of the next four weeks of what that looks like. Right, Yaz, of Twitter spaces, accredited Twitter spaces and webinars that build on this, that go into the game model stuff and the conversation around that, around how that affects our teams, our planning, our individuals. So there's a lot of exciting content coming out. Uh, really looking forward to sharing it with coaches. Most definitely, guys. Yeah, just to reiterate what Gerard said, we've got, we've got some exciting content on its way. Um, please make sure you're following us. Check it, check it, check out the pages over the next couple of days. There'll be some updates on the new the new series of Twitter Spaces and a webinar to follow over the next four to six weeks. Um, but no, it's been a pleasure. Another conversation. I really enjoyed that one, Gerard. Um, guys, feel free to get in touch. Let us know your thoughts on the conversation. If you've got any future topics you want to hear discussed or see see us discuss on the show. Um, but also feel free to get involved in the future as well, guys, whether that's through a DM and just us sharing your views or even putting your hand up and coming up yourselves. But no, much appreciated. Really appreciate everyone's involvement and participation tonight, even even just in a observatory perspective. Um, you can find out more on the Coaches Network podcast where this gets released every Wednesday, as well as a range of other content. Obviously, Gerard's already told you guys about the You Learn Bleed app. So until next week, guys, have a great evening and see you then. There you have it, guys. Another episode of the Coaches Network podcast, where our aim is to bring the world of athlete, talent, and personal development together to just one platform. And you can help us with that mission right now by sharing this episode or any of your favorite episodes with everyone that you can think of. You can tag us in those mentions as well on Instagram at the Coaches Network or on Twitter at the Coaches Net. We look forward to hearing from you. Let us know what you thought about today's episode. And until next time, guys, take care. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.